Uh, how about you start, EJ? Oh, good. Yeah, no, I'll start. Yeah, I'll yeah. lead us off. You get us I'm here. like uh, I'm like the uh, leadoff hitter in a cricket game where yeah. it's like you, I step up to the plate and then you never see me again once yeah. I'm batted out. You know, like once I'm ran out, once I'm leg before wicketed out of the game, mm-hmm. that's it. Like Dude. this is all you're gonna get of me in this episode. The British all listeners right. are going crazy right Dude, now. British yeah, listeners are like, that. "Dude, uh, he's, they're like, what's up, bro? He hit uh, the LBW. He's talking about it. He's talking about our <laughs> stuff. He's talking about the cricket bat. <laughs> Oi, Oi mate, get oval. in here, mom, that on OGA. They're talking about the cricket bat. <laughs> I'm so this good at man voices. only hit sixes. You know." Yeah, dude, this is the only, (laughs) we've never had this configuration on any of the stuff that we've done. We Uh have never, ever done me, son, EJ, no Matt, because, and I think I see, I guess that's true. Yeah, we've never done that, that the three of us. I don't think we've done Matt's son and EJ either. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, definitely not. No, that's, I think we have, I think we have. Uh I forget what it was. I think we've done that trio. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I don't remember. Sans Hun Bun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all have gotten together without me, and I think that's you know we're we're gonna find out today right now. Like, what I feel like there's no one's really in charge. It's kind of I already kind of don't like it. <laughs> We've lost our mom. It's a little oh, type yeah. B for me. <laughs> yeah, you know no, mommy. I mean? We have we have fun dad in the house, and then we have the two adolescents that you know we haven't really left the coop, and we don't plan on to. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't plan on leaving the coop, EJ. I'm staying oh, right uh-huh. here. All right. Well, that's that's gonna be awkward tomorrow when you drive Bro, ten hours. Are to you Minnesota. wearing the same damn Walmart sweater you were wearing last night? Dude, are you I, wearing the same you think shit? I, listen to me, all right. I live alone. It's a different sweater. All right, it's not a different sweater. <laughs> Fuck you. I wore the same fucking thing. Oh, well, you live alone. I'm pretty you sure you just me. told your daughter to turn her iPad down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I have I have very sensitive hearing. Okay, I can hear yeah. things from a long ways away, mm-hmm. like a bat. And and I live alone, and I'm allowed to wear whatever the fuck I want. I've worn this sweater six days in a row, probably. I hear you. I, I mean, whatever. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want from me? Yeah. Well, um, just for the listeners to know, you you're continuing your stand up comedy um, trajectory, and I think they're kind of curious, probably like where you're at in your stand up comedy journey. Um, and I just want to <laughs> know if you want to share a little bit about that before we get into. Yeah. That do you want to give proper. a little tidbit? Yeah, I'm like a grizzled veteran over here. You know, yeah, I've done stand up comedy. Eight, ten times, dude. <laughs> Double digits. Point, it's like it's wearing on me, man. The grind, you know. The I, grind, dude. I, it's I, it's so tough out there, isn't it? <laughs> it's so tough showing up once every couple of months to an open mic, and and only when my friend Hunter is in town, mm-hmm. and the people are like, "Oh yeah, I kind of remember you." And then I get up on but stage you, and and act like a fool for five minutes. That's not what you were doing. Do you, you kill? He does no. kill. He kills. Nice. I I don't believe that's. He told me. Here's what he told me. He was like, "I'm gonna bomb tonight." He was like, "I'm feeling weird. I'm gonna bomb tonight." And I was like, "All right, cool. I've never seen him bomb ever." And he gets on stage, and yeah, he opened up with some stuff, being like, "I'm angry right now," and then he just like did fine. Like I don't like. It was so obnoxious. It was just like this guy is this. You're out here being like, "I'm I'm 
I'll no, I'm 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 gonna deal with the the darkness of it or whatever. You're like already tired of it. You know, you're like you're like, I can't stand doing this comedy anymore, Jady. man. It's so annoying. And it's like you have never bombed. And I because I've seen you perform every single time you perform, pretty much. I think one time I didn't yeah, get to I see think so. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think all but one. Yeah. Yeah. You you have never bombed. And I am it's it's getting to the point where you've performed enough to where I'm like, all right, you gotta bomb because you just need to have that human experience. So I wanna make you bomb sometime. I, yeah, I guess I just don't know what bombing feels like because I, because I last night I was like, all right, success. I've bombed. I walk off the no. stage and Hunter's like, dude, no, they were laughing. Thank you, you, dude, body. that's not what, like, what do you, okay. It's, I don't yeah, know why bombing, I have to explain this. Bombing but. sounds, sounds like, yeah, like a little bit soul leaving, but yes. I mean, I don't, see the, the show that you had in KC Hunter, I don't, okay, let's talk about that one yeah, yeah. because I don't, you didn't bomb to me. Yeah, Megan and I were laughing. We were having a great time. But yes, to the rest of that crowd, I could. See it was not hitting. Them. Right. So is that a bomb or yeah. is that a situational bomb? No, are I there can, different types of bombs? There, there, there are different types of bombs. That's for sure. Um, okay. And I could talk about this. We could talk about this for three hours. But uh, the, the, all the different types of bombs. Um, <laughs> but we have all the time in the world. So we're, we're talking about this now. Yeah, Spoilers. this is what we're talking about. Uh, but so, <laughs> son, what what you are missing there, and you actually said it yourself, is you you and Megan did did laugh. Y'all were laughing. No one else there mm-hmm. was. You are my friend. You do not count in the the arithmetic of how well am I doing in and like I would rather entertain you than not entertain you. Of course, you're my buddy. Of course, I it's actually care. I care if you're laughing more than I care about anybody else. But as far as the rules, as far as the ref mm-hmm. is concerned, we don't right. count. Your laughs don't count. We don't we don't right. click on those. Um, That's fair. So for that room, yes, I did bomb, um, and so did everyone else on that show. Um, although I think I, wa- I may have walked the most people on that show because I did make it oh, more you awkward. definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> Jake, Jake, the, the people that Jake kept around, I think they were there cause they didn't know what, what to do, <laughs> but the people that left, <laughs> but the people for you that left, they, they I know exactly what to do. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. get some hard cider and I'm going to walk right on out of here. <laughs> That's the problem is I'm not scary. You know what I mean? Like I can get up there and be like, ah, oh, you suck or whatever. Uh, which is of course, that's what they love. But, uh, I, when I do it, it, it there were like some real like kind of old school men in there, and they saw me and they judged me as being unworthy of needed to be listened to, <laughs> and they just stood up and left. Um, they had no problem doing it. There's a lot of crazy noises happening over here. Matt is playing with his daughter out <laughs> in the living room, and I I can't stand it. Um, and I this is it for me. <laughs> By the way, this is the last thing I'm recording before I move to Minneapolis, and I can't wait. I'm so Oof. sick of this place. I don't want to be around here anymore. There's children oh. everywhere. I pulled up, pulled up here. Mm-hmm. There were just children all around. Dude, uh, that sounds Dude, awful. That neighborhood's kind of wild. When I was growing up in Bella Vista, it wasn't like that, man. Dude, yeah, like, no, they had, didn't have kids. They just had old people. They didn't people. have kids. I was a kid in Bella Vista, and I knew that they didn't have kids. Yeah, dudes. nobody oh, had kids no, where, I mean, here. it depends. I mean, I was in the single wide area of Bella Vista, and there was definitely children there. Oh, wow. Um, and we were we were left unattended, um, and we got up to all kind of shenanigans. But I did have a friend that was up the street who had uh-huh. um, a, a really good collection of Super Nintendo games, and that's where I played RuneScape for the first time. So Beautiful. that was oh. a great experience. I don't remember his name, but I wish I did, because, you know, hopefully whoever you are, Northland, north part of the la- neighbor guy, you were great. You were fun. Taught me a lot. Yeah, that's nice. Um, EJ, do you want to go now? Or do, how are you feeling? 
Yeah, I haven't eaten dinner, so I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna jet. Uh, go watch some hockey and hang out with my kid. So that's awesome. All right. All right. Well, you're you're excused from the episode. Um, bye bye, and uh, I'll see you. I'll see you in a couple months. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. Let's go. Welcome to the Old Gamers Almanac. I am your host, Hunter Donaldson, joined today by my lone guest, just one guest, Sun Sanders. Just one, just one. That's me, Sun Sanders. Hello, welcome. Hello. Um, so today we're going to do something a little bit different. This is a bonus. Uh, this is something that we were going... I, I wanted to record this ever since you mentioned you you pitched to me the last time we did an episode together. Hey, do you want to come up to... I'm going to go, well, no, I won't reveal where we were. I come up to wherever, wherever it was, um, even though your shirt says the location of the place, um, you're wearing yeah, a shirt that says, you can't read this in you your ears. You can't see this. You don't know that about this. You're not on the call with us, so you don't know. You, you're not on the they live know. stream. Let's be honest. They know. They know. I think every shirt that I have has that on there. Yeah, you've you, you definitely performed live <laughs> plenty of the time with two people wearing the shirt that says where you live, but... Um, yeah. So we went to go see David Lynch's Dune, and I thought, and what's interesting is it was a 40-year anniversary celebration, so they put David Lynch's uh, version of Dune from 1984, and I thought, since we're doing a 30-year cycle show, we may as well do a bonus episode where, where we do a 40-year anniversary, uh, but for uh, this classic, question mark, science fiction film. Uh, by they're getting a bonus 10 years look we're yes. so generous yes yeah you're getting an extra 10 years on us on the house yes this is the type of Matt's stuff paying for it actually matt is paying for it um this is the type of stuff that you can expect to eventually go into the patreon feed we had grand designs uh, at the end of january that we were going to get this patreon uh bonus feed started for y'all um and then i didn't have internet at my woods house so it, there were certainly there were some difficulties with uh we basically just had one office to work out of matt uh had to work out of it from 8 to 5 p.m and then i would come over and we would do work after that and also matt has a family so that was kind of interesting and that's over now so i could just fully expose that that's what we were going family's through. done yeah that's done for me um, i'm gonna be back uh you know, living alone and having a space to do work in. So I'm really excited about that. But uh, last weekend we went to go see um, David Lynch's Dune and we sat down in the movie theater. Um, uh, I want to thank actually somebody real quick. I'm going to mark this. Um, so DM Anonymous, uh, I want to shout out. Uh, thank you for, for coming out. Uh, actually came out to watch uh, this movie with us, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, Sat next to me the entire time while I shoved peanut M&Ms in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I had a hint. I had a. I had a hunch that it was them, mm-hmm. uh, but I, you know, I we got right as like yeah, you know, we got in late, the so that was, was starting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had a hockey game to watch, right? <laughs> so we we got we got through the first period. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, so let's get into it. Um, just to explain in brief uh, what this film is, uh, basically in the seventies, um, they tried to make a science fiction film adaptation of Dune. Um, it was going to be made by a group of crazy people, um, headed up by uh, a filmmaker named uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky. I feel like I definitely, definitely pronounced that incorrectly. Um, 
but he came up with this idea. He was kind of a, a, a surrealist filmmaker, made a lot of crazy stuff uh, that I think is really fun if you want something visually interesting. Um, but he was like, I want to make this big science fiction epic. And he gets all this crazy group of people to do it. There's a documentary about it that you can watch. Um, but he gets all the people together, and spoilers, they don't make the movie. Instead, uh, all of those people kind of disband for the most part, and then the movie gets kicked around for a little while, and then eventually uh, David Lynch is the person hired to do it. It's the only movie that David Lynch ever made that he didn't have final cut on, and he claims uh, that he will he after that experience, he had a horrible experience making this movie. I think everyone had a horrible experience making this movie um but we like it so that's something i want to say up front so if you're yeah and it's wild to me that that was when you told me that that he didn't get final cut i was it, it kind of shocked me yeah a little bit because it's david lynch even in the time it's david lynch well know, think like, about why it would you not give him it's david lynch so it it he still shot it like in his style and then somebody else had to edit that. So that, I think, is why, ultimately, it's a very weird movie. A lot of people don't like this movie. Uh, there's a lot of things that you could... They're crazy. I mean, they are crazy. Um, this movie is uh, fun as heck. And the way all of the... All the acting in this movie is phenomenal um, because it has this, like, deep soap opera. Like, everything is hyper-melodramatic um, and, like, delivered with this, like, slow intentionality that I really um, enjoy. Um, the costumes, the like set design is very strange and very fun. Um, and I feel like, you know, hot take it's, while it's not classier than the new version of Dune, um, it is, I think ultimately a little more interesting to me. Although obviously we have not seen part two of Dune at this point. And I will, I will say this, and this, this is my, one of my biggest offenses of David Lynch's Dune. If you make this a graphic novel, no one has a problem with it. If you make it an animated show, right. no one has a problem with it. And you don't change anything. You keep the dialogue, the cuts, the cha- everything the same. Everyone's like, oh, this is a great graphic novel. This is a great animated movie. It's only because it's in real life that people have an issue, which is, I mean, to me, this movie only has like one bad part, uh, two bad parts in my mind that stand out that I've always hated about the movie. And I'm just going to say them right now, just yeah, get them yeah. off my chest because I've been bottling it up. And I'm angry about it. Um, is the stupid shields. Why are they rectangles? Yeah. Why are they geometric things? You can't see anybody going on. It's a great fight scene with Patrick Stewart. You don't get to even see it at all. Mm-hmm. And then the, the the battle scene, the end fight, you know, that kind of sucked. <laughs> and and that, that to me is, that's everyone's to blame for that last, that last one. Um, it's, Terrible. But what's great about this movie is, I mean, I can't say this for sure, but I can make a blind statement <laughs> um, with no background or, you know, credibility to mm-hmm. it. I'm pretty sure a lot of 90s anime took stuff from this movie. Oh, absolutely. The yeah. the the suits, everybody's suit. I mean, those I was like <laughs> I always forget I'm like, "Oh yeah, they're Zeons." Um and then yeah. um the uh the doctor guy straight up, you know, like Dr. Uh, I'm pretty sure Dr. Yui is I mean, almost exactly uh like a character I've seen before, his whole outfit and everything. Um and so there's a lot of 
there's a lot of things that we appreciate today that I think have roots to this film. And that's what makes it so great because when you actually see it and especially that I got to finally see it in theaters, I've only ever seen it on like a, you know, a house TV. Right. Um, but seeing it on the big screen. <laughs> wow. That was, it was, I was like, this is a great movie. This is fantastic. You know, with, you know, it has some blemishes or whatever, but what doesn't? Yeah. I think that there's something about the um, delivery that the actors are all be- because they're all being directed by David Lynch. I feel like he encourages actors to like, they, they take on this very particular cadence. I think twin peaks like makes it the most obvious. Also, by the way, if you're mm-hmm. not familiar with who David Lynch is, I don't know. I, let's not explain him today. That's the, that's a little no, too much to explain. But Google him, Google him. Yep. If you don't, if you don't know who he is already, um, then just look up, just look up him in interviews and just, you know, you're, you're in for a treat, uh, just watching any of his movies. Um, but he encourages his actors to, I think, go down like a very like kind of stark, specific road. And but the thing is, there's so many like weirdly delivered lines that they just kind of have lodged in my brain forever. And every time I watch <laughs> it, a new line sticks out to me. And the thing that got me this time was if you don't know the story of Dune that well, uh, that's also a lot to explain. It's like a space opera story with a lot of Game of Thrones style political intrigue betrayal there's assassinations etc at one point this character we've already mentioned dr yui is going to pull off an assassin a, a, a double cross assassination attempt and the way that he does it is he plucks out this guy this this character we know who is dying plucks out his tooth and he puts in a fake cyanide tooth and he's like hey you're gonna get close to this other guy when you get close to him he's gonna drug you but you'll be near him and then you just chomp down on the tooth, and then gas, poison gas will will come out of your mouth, will kill, uh, the, you know, the target of assassination. And the way that he uh, explains this uh, to uh, the character Dugletto is, uh, "Remember the tooth," and he just yes. says, and he says it over and over. It's not he doesn't just say it one time. It has this like kind of dreamy, it's like five or six times. <laughs> Remember the tooth, and then like later, it's like playing in flashback to Dugletto remember the tooth and it has like a tight zoom on his mouth yes. too, and it's like remember the tooth remember um the and it tooth. didn't just get you i'm pretty sure all eight of us that were in this theater because there wasn't a lot of people but thank god you know thank good for amc for playing it um i think it got all of us i think yeah. everybody laughed at that absolutely um, because it was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten about that line. And I will say this. The part that got me this time, well, it was still the same tooth. Um, well, not the same tooth, but uh, the little girl as Paul's little yes. sister, who yes. I always forget about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the fact that she, the, the, the actor they chose, I mean, she did everything she was told to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Her, her, she had one, she had one missing tooth and she was, I mean, she was a creep, um, you know, bona fide little creep. Um, it was, I was like, I forgot about you, but she was, she was my favorite takeaway from this time. Yeah. Um, so let, let's kind of zoom out though. Let's talk about like kind of the movie, uh, in total. So it is an eighties movie, um, made, Mm -hmm. I would say like it, it's probably a decent budget for this era because they're clearly chasing like the star Wars money at this point. Um, But instead of, you know, it being this, like, fun adventure, Dune, as a story, is a lot of characters having internal monologues and dealing with kind of semi-complicated cultural, religious, and, like, political, like, problems, basically. Um, So it is 
it's really it, it's really dumb that Star Wars was a success, and then these producers were like, "Oh, it's time uh, to make Dune," because Star Wars famously rips a lot of concepts from Dune. Like, for example, the whole idea of it there being a desert planet, um, the idea of these kind of spiritual warriors with psychic powers, the Bene Gesserit witches, uh, very very clearly inspired the Jedi Knights of Star Wars. Um, Star Wars, even in Return of the Jedi, has a a sort of sandworm. It's not a cool one. It doesn't move around. It, it's a stationary sandworm that's just a big hole in the ground. Um, but so I would say in a way, Dune kind of has them beat there, but clearly George Lucas just sort of took, lifted that and was like, I'll take that. George Lucas, to be fair, lifted a lot of stuff from everywhere, not just from Dune. So that's why Star Wars was so appealing. Now I will say this. I haven't looked up Empire Strikes Back yet, but do you, do you have a rough guess of what the budget was for Dune for David Lynch's Dune? I'm going to say, so this is 1984 money. I'm going to say, well, it probably was a decent budget. I'm going to say $15 million. Is that right? <laughs> uh, the budget for Dune was around $42 million. 42. 40 to $42 Oh, okay. Million. Okay. That's not... And that's, the, that's, do you good. know what the budget was for A New Hope? Well, that had to be very low because that was... Uh, well, I'm, mm, I'm going to say $10 million for A New Hope. Eleven million. Eleven million. Um, awesome. Yeah, which is kind of crazy to me when I think about like one quality over the other. Yes. Um, even though it was like the new one, and then the budget for Empire Strikes Back was only thirty point five million. So this, so Dune had a pretty large budget. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I think, I think, um, you know, like Star Wars has a lot of close shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, in hallways and interiors they don't have a lot i mean when you get to the empire stuff they zoom out and they're like all these big set pieces um which is so so crazy like for instance everything that happens on the death star in a new hope when you think of that in comparison to everything that happens in like dune and and really like (laughs) let's be honest with a lot of dune stuff i mean and even the new dune does the same exact thing they and i remember the old uh the like three-part tv series for dune they did they did a very similar thing dune is really like tight really tight right until you know when the house of trades falls mm-hmm. and then you know paul escapes into the desert that part of that book is super tight i yeah. know it i know it like the back of my hand mm-hmm. it is a sci-fi like it's a perfect formula uh, now after that becomes a bit of like more of a hobbity vibe like you know right. it has the like, more adventure and, and there's a little bit more you know going on going from place to place it's a little more of a road it it's it's a road story but also we're kind of building a gang of of characters from the ashes of uh of the big betrayal halfway spoiler yeah dune Dune is almost a story in two acts where the first act is exactly here here are all these characters you know they're all going to be you know they're gonna have this horrible betrayal is gonna happen to them half of them are gonna die and then we sort of rebuild from there with this 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 boy character at the center of it who is like a, a messianic figure basically and frank herbert invites us to to sort of consider whether this is a good guy or a bad guy or whatever um it's very critical of the idea of the uh the kind of uh 
the savior figure, I would say, is like there's a lot of that well, baked into Dune. It's very interesting. There's a lot of really interesting stuff because, I mean, and what I thought was, you know, like in the new Dune, they don't mention a jihad at all. I mean, right. in Dune, it is like, it is a very, you know, one for one of what like mm-hmm. was happening in the Middle East while Frank Herbert was writing this. Right. Um, and what historically kind of happened in it. It's very interesting. Um, but I think it's funny because the second half of Dune always becomes like always i don't want to say it sucks but it always is like when it's been adapted so far i don't think it's been very successful no. which is disappointing because that part of the book is really really good um um but you know think about star wars all those movies basically three acts you know roughly whatever mm-hmm. um this is very clearly here's the first act here's the second yeah there's not really a third act i guess you could you could say the like battle at the end is kind of a third act but that's just a fight it's not really a third act and so yeah i am curious what your thoughts well for one i I don't know how i read dune every couple years yeah um because it's fantastic i don't know when's the last time you read it um but i am curious what you think about the second half versus the first half of this movie i so yeah so i read i reread it it's been a while um i reread it when they announced dune like the new dune um, which was now like 2017, 2018. It was whenever Blade Runner 2049 was coming out. Uh, so it's been mm-hmm. a minute. Um, I think that, yeah, let's, let's, that would be good to break our discussion into that too. So if talking about the first half of the book versus uh, David Lynch's Dune, uh, the way it depicts the first half, um, there are some interesting structural differences. I think the book and the new movie both do it right of, kind of having that scene where Paul, our our main character, our protagonist, uh, is meeting this this Benny Jesuit witch and she asks him to put his hand in a box and it like the box makes him feel pain and if he moves his hand out of the box, this witch lady is gonna kill him. Um, in the book, that's the very first scene. It just do- you just go right into that. Just to kind of yeah. signal to you this is welcome to a bonkers time, basically. Um, but the, I think David Lynch's version does, you do not open with that scene. It actually takes quite a while. And instead we open with, uh, princess, uh, Irulan, uh, who has nothing else to do in the movie besides this like monologue that she delivers straight into camera with the, the just stars behind her. And it does this very funny thing where as she's talking, she fades out. Like she she dissolves and you just see the stars as if she's done talking and then yeah. it just fades her back in. And it does this a couple times and it's very hilarious and quite strange. Um, but I think it sets a really good tone. It just it and, and it explains a lot of stuff to you. But if there is a I would say if there if I have a problem with this movie, it's that there are too many moments where it feels like the producers are scared that you do not understand this story. So a lot of things are, I would say, kind of over-explained to you. Um, And I feel like the book does a much better job of just kind of like doling out these concepts and depending on you to either look them up, basically, like, um, or like do, just kind of do your own research to stay on top of it, or to just figure it out via context. I mean, I read this book the first time when I was like 13, and I, I figured it out. Like, it, it was it was not yeah. too complicated for me. I maybe didn't understand it, like, as far as, like, what it meant 
like that took a long time but but i understood I, the story yes i like, understood the, the story complicated and the science fiction concepts were not like too out there because again dune has spiritually sort of already been adapted in everything it's one of those like science fiction source books that sort of everybody has ripped off you know yeah i feel Comes like out 1965 yeah you get your first like adaption like you said was starting to happen in the 70s and then the first you know first movie we get is this bonkers movie in 1984 mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah one thing that so so the first scene of david lynch's version is in the like imperial throne room with a bunch of characters mm-hmm. that in the book we don't like actually meet for a long time basically yeah um and we, I we love this scene the scene is great it's very fun um you have a spacing guild uh kind of representative shows up we actually get to see a spacing guild pilot which in the story the fiction of dune the uh, spacing guild are these people that are they're the only ones capable of of faster than light travel and the way they do it is they uh ingest this this drug substance called uh the spice melange spice melange yes uh, and it gives them the ability to see around corners. Uh, and it also they, it yeah. also mutates them into a giant worm, and yes. they float around in a tank, which is so cool. Basically, it's like a minivan that uh, these fellas just hang out in and just suck in spice melange. Yeah. Um, now that is David Lynch's interpretation of it. I don't. Yes. I don't know that the. And I like it. <laughs> yes, I like it too. Um, it, they're, they're, I wouldn't even call them. They're not even like worms. They're just like giant like fetuses, basically. It's very, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's their and mouths are disgusting. Their mouths are they're like fishy little mouths, just like with spiced stuff just coming out of it. Um, it's very, um, I would say, unnecessarily gross. It's not how George Lucas would have done it. I'll tell you that much. Nope. George Lucas would it would have been a Muppet. You know what I mean? We would just had a little yeah, Muppet yeah, yeah. dancing around or whatever, and it would have been all fun for the whole family. Instead, David Lynch is out here, uh, kind of kind of creeping you out in scene one. I'm going to make this awkward for your family. Yes. <laughs> and I would say there is a lot, and, and there is definitely some DNA that David Lynch has sort of added to Dune that I think is even, like, maintained in the new Dune because I feel like it's all kind of borrowed from Alejandro's version, which was to make all of the different kind of groups that you meet in Dune kind of off-putting besides House Atreides, basically, and the, and the Fremen. But, like, we meet the Spacing Guild right away. They are, uh, besides the the Navigators, are literally giant fetuses in jars. And then the other the other guys, the representatives, they, like, speak, like, a weird language you can't understand, but they have to speak it into this, like, giant, like, speaker And they have to thing. do it to each other as well, yeah. which I yeah, thought which was that funny. Is that, you know, I got it, like, when they, br- and I forgot this scene, but just from, like, a world-building aspect, I'm like, what are you doing, David? Because um, because there's other moments where he has, like, subtitles on the screen. Right. Um, and so it's like, a, there's a moment, so when the Spacing Guild meets the Emperor and they're talking, and they basically tell you the plot of yeah. the, like, of the story, of, like, what's about Which to you've happen. already been told, um, by the way, that's what's so annoying about it, is you get explained the plot, and then you immediately go into some exposition that's explaining more of the plot to you, basically. Yeah, yeah, they doubled down very quickly, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, the, these this the spacing guild—they're like bald. They have like pus boils. They're very mm-hmm. similar to the Harkonnens, and they're dressed in like they're all black, like black goth clothes. You know, yeah. like leather, like plastic-looking clothes. Yeah, they look like they're um, in a cure or something. 
Yeah, and then they bring this microphone to communicate with the Emperor because they speak a different language, which is totally cool. But then later on, they're walking down a hallway just talking to each other, and like the guy with the microphone holds it up to the guy who's talking <laughs> so that he can speak English. And I'm like, why didn't you just use subtitles? I would have yeah. been, I don't know. It, a little, that's a little thing. We can nitpick the hell out of this movie, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And I, de- I definitely don't really want to pick nits um, because no. I just don't want to talk about how. They really are still using this blueprint. I mean, for like for how much this movie is supposedly bad, I see a lot of that same DNA in New Dune with how the, there's just this intense darkness and foreboding that they like to bake into the Spacing Guild or the Emperor or the Harkonnens uh, in the way that they're depicted in New Dune, I would say, is even, I would say, more uncomfortable. They're like weird, like mutated creatures that you get to see in the in Dune Part One that I that I mean David Lynch definitely would have included if he had thought of them. Uh his version of the Harkonnens is they kind of just all wear like black hazmat suits and they have the um there's this concept. This is a gross concept and and kind of like you know this overall we're talking about dune so there's gonna be some heavy stuff in here um but they have these things called heart plugs so that the baron who is like one of the primary antagonists of the story uh can just kill a person by pulling uh the plug from their heart and then they and then they die um and the actor that plays the baron i don't know his name off the top of my head uh he goes so cartoony with it i mean he goes about as far as you can go he is a looney tunes character i mean he is at times floating in the air laughing maniacally i mean well he's always floating there so the baron doesn't walk and and so that's like a big one of his things it's like he's this grotesque large like kind of um uh like a what do you call it um gout um covered individual Um, covered in like boils is like the idea too yeah yeah, and then the new one, he's very clean. He's a scars guard, so right, so they don't want to mess with him too much. Um, but he's like, he's still very large and goutish, right? And he floats around as well. Um, but this one, like, he is. I mean, there are. I mean, at the, there, the beginning, there's a doctor like picking things Just out kind of, of his picking boil. Guy. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh damn, I forget yeah. how like graphic this is. And they get like close. It's not like, oh, it's a yeah. wide shot. You get both people. No, they get like we're just the hands and his face, and he's screaming and spitting. There's one moment where he spits on Paul Atreides' mother, and it was really Dude, gross. That part that that um, is like, I mean, I'm pretty sure that is actually in the that is maintained from the books because uh, the books, especially yeah. Uh, if you read, there's a prequel uh, trilogy that that Brian Herbert uh, wrote that it's not necessarily good. Although I read it when I was a kid, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's there's a certain fascination that that Frank and Brian Herbert have with just having this character, the Baron, who just does dis- despicable, awful stuff that mm-hmm. that truly gets to me. Like either if I'm seeing it on film, and I will say maybe that's a bit of a criticism I have of New Dune, whereas like. Castellan Skarsgård, he has a certain gravitas to him. I do not yeah. find him like yes, he is he kind of is more a manifestation of death, I would say. He yeah, looks he's like terrifying. he's he's terrifying, yeah. he's scary, but I'll tell you what he's not. He's not like grotesque or yeah. he, there's something like about the Baron that is supposed to register as like a a, like a, a monster. A dedication to like disease. Like the a manifestation yeah. of 
disease. And that's something, that's a choice David Lynch makes that I feel like the new one is, is kind of shifting a little bit there. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, because it is, um, there are moments with the new Dune where he's like, it's, it's funny, There, it's you could make it like a horseman, kind of like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. The the horseman we get in the Dune, the, the barren horseman that we get is like, pestilence yeah you know he's like really i mean everything that that is it's yeah it's disgusting and then he wants other people in his organization to also rot and be nasty yeah yeah um and then but in the new one it is very much they are death they're like pale they're like a they're riding a pale horse Mm -hmm. you know they're they're all like pale and and they don't have any hair um and that's you know that's a big that's a big difference between these two movies is like we were kind of talking afterwards oh do we like the the Harkonnens with red hair? Or do we like the Harkonnens with no hair? You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting because, like, Fade, you know, we haven't seen new Fade yet besides, like, commercials. Yeah. Um, and he does look intense, but he also kind of looks generic. And that, like, Sting in this one is, like, he's <laughs> fun. He yeah. is, and he's, a like, I truly think he's deranged, right? Like, right. And I think that's the derangement of the Harkonnens because they are supposed to be evil i mean we this is like a classic you have the bad guys and the good guys the good guys are real nice boys um and the bad guys are real real bad um and david lynch goes to like the far extremes on both i think the right. i think the um atreides are very goody two-shoes and i think and the harkonnens are real nasty but i think the new one they kind of tone that in and bring them closer to the middle um because you get to see like Jason Momoa's character be like way more brutal. Uh, he also gets way Duncan gets way more str- um, screen time in um, the new one. I would love to know what David Lynch's why he didn't include Duncan. I mean, he's I mean, say pretty he close to the script, him, right? Duncan, it, it, yeah, it's just he he doesn't really do anything. I mean, that's one thing that I feel like David Lynch's version because he was adapting the whole book into one movie. They probably should have either either they should have given David Lynch final cut and the movie should have been like three or four hours long, or yeah. they should have cut some characters because they don't they don't really cut anybody in David Lynch's version. So we get they're all there. They're all there, but a lot of them don't have a lot to do. Um, we meet Doctor Kynes, uh, who is a very interesting mm-hmm. character, but also a very minor character. Easily could have been cut out. He's played by Max von Sydow, which is incredible, but he's really just in one scene. And then he dies. And there's a lot of that. Like, Duncan Idaho is the same way. He's included in David Lynch's version. We get to meet him. We're told that he's great. And we love him. He's so important to Paul. He's so important to Paul. Paul loves him. We meet him. Next time we see him, he's dying. So, because that's mm-hmm. how much the, the movie has And he gets shot in the head. And mm-hmm. it happens, like, two seconds. He's like, go, Paul. I will, I'm going to, like, hold down this thing. <laughs> and then he goes into fight and just, I mean, the Harkonnen's like, oh, I have this bullet that, like, will shoot through your thing. Right. Done. You know, and then we get the, then we get the, you know, um, the new Dune. And it's like, he kills, like, 40 sour car, like, all by himself in a yeah. hallway. You know, and it's, like, this really amazing scene. Um yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I do think that. So one of the things you called out as being a negative would be the the, the battle sequences, um, because I don't think that I, it feels like maybe David Lynch didn't get very much input on how to because the battle sequences are not depicted with any kind of flair or they have no real like angle to them. It will literally just be like it's time for the big battle scene, 
And then literally extras are just like kind of jumping around in the frame. And that's like kind of it. Yeah. It feels a- 80s though. That that's where it felt like I was like, "Oh, this feels like a product of its time." Sure. Even though it's not there are there are there are obviously standouts, but I've watched a lot of 80s movies like The Last Starfighter and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, "Okay, yeah, they, you know, they're not cor- choreography is not necessarily one of the things they're putting in that 40 million dollar budget." Sure. But still, I mean, like, com- I mean, the easiest comparison we can make with something like that is compared to Star Wars. Star Wars mm-hmm. doesn't, I mean, has, I mean, according to the numbers, less money to play with. It's also earlier, and they still find a way to have fight sequences that resonate. Now, a lot of them, that especially feel good. that feel good, you know, and a lot of this has to do with the way they use the special effects, but it also has to do with like how they slow down and they have the characters like sit in the drama of the fight. Basically they let the fight kind of play out like it would in a samurai movie. That's what, you know, that's what George Lucas is ripping off there. I'm not saying that David Lynch should have also ripped off Akira Kurosawa, but if the, if the battle sequences had kind of stayed centered on the, the inner drama with the characters, I think it would resonate more and instead, it feels like the best the movie can manage is we will have a character having a dramatic thing happen to them, like they're dying, basically. That's kind of it. They'll be literally dying in that scene or, or about to die. And then we cut to extras jumping around. Um, and we also, we cannot, you know, not, we can't avoid mentioning Patrick Stewart holding yeah. a pug. So there's this pug. That with pers- a mullet. With a mullet. Uh, well, that's later. He gets the mullet later. Oh, that's true. That I, is the mullet is later. Sorry, but there is this famous scene. You got to look it up. You could just look up Patrick Stewart battle pug, and you'll find it. Um, where <laughs> Patrick Stewart is holding a pug in one hand and a gun in the other, and is yelling like "Charge!" Basically, he's and like he's just, "Duke for Duke, Leto." <laughs> yes, um, and he's holding this pug, and it is fantastic. I mean, yes. it's everything we could have ever wanted from Patrick Stewart. But that's also. I will say that is like scene two you get with Patrick Stewart. You only yeah. get like one other scene with Patrick Stewart through the right. entire movie. Right. And now I don't know if he was a big deal when this movie came out. Um, but as like someone who's later on, like Patrick Stewart is a big deal. So it's yeah. uh, it's like crazy to be like, oh man, David, did you not know what you had? Was he like too busy on Broadway or is he, t- you know, was he too busy like making like, well, he's a Shakespe- he, he's Shakespearean a, actor. He's a Shakespearean actor. Yes. Yeah, exactly. He's classically um, trained, which, this guy. Which, you know, we've talked about this. You know, w- what I like about David Lynch's Dune is it feels like a theater play. Like, yes. I feel like I could go see this on stage and see the props and stuff. I think it would be very, it would be cool to see it that way. Um, I would actually like someone to reinterpret David Lynch's Dune as a Broadway play. Yeah. Um, I think that would be very let's interesting. Let's green light that um, right now. Yeah, let's Come green light on. that bad boy. I want to um, see it. But yeah, Patrick Stewart, I mean, he's like, and we all know it watching it. It'd be like, this guy's an amazing actor. He's yeah. He's screaming with a pug. He's fighting. Uh, first scene you see with him uh, is he, <laughs> first scene you see, I don't, I, this is a, I don't know if you remember this. He comes in with this, huge sitar and he's like oh music lessons today and he goes no i'm taking that with me <laughs> and he just puts and it up he just like sets it's a it broom. aside yeah yeah i don't know why that's in the movie again why it's david in the lynch movie. doesn't have final cut so it seems like there are a lot of times for the editors cutting out stuff that it just seems like it's weird that we're missing that 
I, I, what we, what we are there to know is that he is, not only are we about to find out he's an extremely good fighter and mm-hmm. that the only person that can probably best him, and this is Gurney we're talking about, the only person that can best him is Paul Atreides. Um, and but we also want you're also finding out in that moment. Oh well, he's also a musician. There's he's this dynamic yeah, person. Yeah. But that's our our first scene, and then he gets the, a fight scene that probably actually looks cool. It's probably the, the most choreographed, like the well. It has like levels fight to scene. it at least that work. Yeah, they're covered up with a hideous like three D thing that's supposed to be their their shields that they wear. Um and I mentioned this and I just want to say it so I'm on the record is they colored all these um Fremen's eyes blue, right? Yeah. It, and mm-hmm. it looked really cool. I think they could have done something very similar <laughs> with the shields, just highlighted everybody orange and and not done this three D thing. Yeah. Um that is I mean if that is I want that has always been the thing I wanted answers the most. Like if I ever meet David Lynch in real life, which that'd be great. Um, this is definitely one of the top three things I'm going to ask him. Like, so what was? Why did that happen? Why right. did you do that? Right. Um, well, considering know. it was a special effect, I wonder if how much uh, say he he kind of had in it because that would have been something they would have done much later, you know, in the process. So for all I know, by that point he's kind of checked out and doesn't really uh, have any say uh, with the movie at all. Um, but speaking of David Lynch, we should talk. He does have a cameo in this movie that's really fun. Um, if it, which I, I can't I even recall. It. I can't recall a cameo from him off the top of my head. And and well, I mean, he has cameo in Twin Peaks. Um, mm-hmm. But I I can't think of it in any of his other movies. I'm sure he's done it maybe somewhere else. But I just that yeah, that doesn't occur to me right now. But when um, in the big scene where uh, which is like kind of kind of the bigger scene of both this version of dune and also in in dune part one is the scene where duke leto goes out to see the spice harvester for the first time yeah, in a this is the big like blockbuster moment it's right? a it's big like moment you're, you're, yeah it's kind of the the best as far as execution goes it might be the best sequence in in all of david lynch's version because you it does a pretty good job of like okay here's the Here's the ornithopter, which looks weird. Doesn't really look right. <laughs> I at forgot all, it looked like that. It's just kind of a box, right? It's just kind and of a floating a box, box with a triangle on the top. Yeah, they're they're trying here. Um, they come, they see the harvester. The harvester is a really good miniature that you can tell has like lots of different scaling to it. Um, and then you know the worms show up and and they eat it, and you see you see the worm eat it from the inside of the ornithopter, like looking through a window. It's a decently comp. This is 1984. It's a pretty good Dude, shot. Dude, when, when it when it comes up and it actually grabs the worst part of the scene is actually when the 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 harvester like explodes, and yeah. that's the when you're like, oh, okay, that's 80s camp, whatever. Um, but like it emerging from the sand is great. Um, I will say this now that we're talking about the the harvester and we mentioned the worm. We got to see this um, watching it. It was like this, I don't know, five minute like yeah. pre introduction like to a the feature. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and they, they were talking about the people who built the miniatures, and they really kind of broke down, like, I mean, really incredible shots, really yeah. incredible things they did with miniatures and the scene to make it look so grandiose, um, which I thought was incredible. Um, but then the old lady, this I don't know who she was on the film, but she's like, oh, do we have to talk about the worms? Yeah. I hate the worms. Yeah. And she, I mean, this woman's old. I mean, she has to be 
late 80s um talking about this um and then yeah she goes in to talk about how the they couldn't make the worms not look phallic and they had to do everything by hand in the sand but i will say this i mean you know we're living in a world now we'll we'll never get a practical effect worm moving through sand um Mm -hmm. and it's all going to be 3d but i mean what they did made it look really good i mean they had little tiny miniatures out there that would be like people like running up next to it Mm -hmm. you know or riding on the backs of the worms and they looked good i like i loved i i like the like inside of the worm like i like the puppet itself i maybe don't like the well uh, the sequence i don't like with the worms is when paul climbs on top of a worm and rides it that part like just looks like just somebody like running it looks around. like a hallmark movie well it just it, it i don't know if it looks like a hallmark i'm not even sure that'd be a crazy hallmark movie but uh it, it oh, does look crazy. cheap it, it looks cheap and it mm-hmm. looks like it looks like Kyle McLaughlin doesn't really know what he's doing. He like he like ties these two ropes to like either side of the worm. And as he's doing it, he's kind of running around like he doesn't even know what the point of this is or, or that but he, he is he can is, feel his lack of supposed confidence. to be very confident. Yeah, he's supposed that's that. And that's the worst part about the scene is that he is like overly calm. the character yeah. paul atreides is like oh i know exactly what i'm doing right this is the first time i've ever he's done like, con- it uh, the but- thing about paul in the books is he's like sort of convinced of his own like godhood or messianic oh, yeah. destiny and that's why you're supposed to as you're reading him you're supposed to be like this guy is actually kind of this is kind of not great actually with the way the way this guy thinks about himself but yeah kyle he tries his hardest but it's just a weird sequence and i think the mm-hmm. way it's executed like it doesn't really hit it's you know there's all this triumphant music playing and but you kind of just feel like you're watching a guy just run around on like just some like a rubber mat basically it's just kind of yeah. what you're looking at but yeah and there's um what i also loved about that scene is that everybody's dirty everybody's been in the sand but they mm-hmm. got these brand new nylon ropes that have never seen a <laughs> yeah, day of wear true. in their life the they're props, brand new from home depot the props um, are not and- consistent <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I like—I mean, it's the little things that I'm like, oh my god. But I did—I guess I've never like, you know, <laughs> grasped that before. Mm-hmm. I'm like, those are small things that David, you know, maybe didn't have the opportunity to correct himself, which is sad. Yeah, um, yeah, but, but this—but this brings back to my earlier point, though. The first half of the movie very polished. Act yeah. one is always very polished. Second half of the movie, a lot of things fall apart. I mean, yeah. The, Loki worried about part two of the new Dune just because I've seen it before. You know, I've mm-hmm. seen the second half of Dune just not work. Um, and I'm, you know, Villeneuve can do it. Then I, you know, going to have full faith. I mean, hasn't disappointed me yet. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we are at a point where early reviews are out for part two and they've been really positive, but I don't really trust early reviews anymore. I never um, look at them till yeah. afterwards. Yeah, I just yeah. pay attention to that stuff. Yeah, it's 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 not really that worthwhile, I feel like. But yeah, the second half of the story is, I think, just trickier to adapt because that first half, you have some obvious, like, dramatic stuff, and the end of the story is not... It's very it's philosophical. Kind of, it's very like, philosophical. There's a lot of it's, internal thought. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And and characters in general, <laughs> one of the problems with Dune is that there is a lot of internal monologue. And the way David mm-hmm. Lynch 
deals with that is to just have a lot of voiceover. And I don't know if he approved of all the voiceover. I, obviously, we've been kind of saying that over and over. We don't know what of this movie David Lynch know. likes, if any of it. He might not like one frame of it, for all we know. Um, but in this version, you get a lot of voiceover. And a lot of the time, the voiceover is telling you something you just didn't need to know. It just didn't. Mm. Dude, I, I know, here's something I noticed. There was a voiceover that was definitely added because they cut a scene, and it was there's this scene where Paul is in his bedroom alone, um, and there is a, a a robot called a hunter killer uh, that hunter seeker hunter seeker comes in to his room. It's very like slow, and and the way the scene works actually, this is also one of the better scenes as far as how dramatic it feels. Uh, you really feel the idea that like Paul might die right now. And the idea of it is if he stays very still, it won't kill him. But if somebody comes to his door, it will kill that person. Um, and so there's this dramatic tension of like, oh, I hope nobody comes to the door. And I hope, you know, he doesn't move at all. It gets like right in his eye, that kind of thing. And then anyways, that happens. No characters ever mention it ever. But we do cut to Duke Leto having a voiceover saying, they tried to kill my son. But besides yeah. that, there is no scene that deals with that. It's almost like Paul never told anybody, which isn't true, right? But we don't actually process any of that stuff because we have to move on to the next thing. Yeah, because right? all we see following it is them ramping up security and like we've searched the whole building and then we find this Harkonnen man that's in like the sewer basement. You know, like mm -hmm. you get that kind of closure. But yeah, the 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 cut to Duke Leto just being like. Uh, someone tried to kill my son. <laughs> my son, yeah, and it's like, about it. but I, if they hadn't included that, I, it's not like why I, I would have assumed Duke Leto didn't care about his son. I already knew that he cared about him. I probably would have taken that with, you know, because of the pace of the story, probably wouldn't have even thought twice about that. The VO kind of has this lack of confidence to it sometimes, uh, which can be uh, somewhat funny, um, and it it does, I, I feel like I am ragging on this movie a lot. What I love about it is this tone, though. The tone is so much fun of having everyone kind of play it up in this melodramatic soap opera style. There is a line from this movie uh, that I think about probably every day, um, which is when Kyle, or sorry, Paul... Uh, says the, the sleeper, sleeper has, has awakened. awakened and the way he yeah. says it is just so it's so corny it's just covered in cheese ball and it just but it, it it's great i mean you you'll watch this movie you got to watch this movie sometime because there's a million little lines like that that will just get stuck in your head forever i will say after rewatching this um uh my like i didn't have a problem with a lot of the actors you know but man i hated duke alito's actor he, he just oh, had this yeah. like like he smiled all the time in the weirdest <laughs> situations and i was like who's telling you to do that is yeah. david doing that i don't <laughs> think david would do that <laughs> i think he probably couldn't get you to stop doing it and you just kept it in there but you know i've i've, I've went back and looked at his imdb and i'm like i don't know any of these things he was in like some weird cowboy movies he's mm -hmm. in some obviously some european movies but the thing i thought was really funny he was in ncis and he was in Hitman, that movie. Whoa. <laughs> and so I was like, what r random things he was also in. But Hey, man, he's a working actor, whatever, you know? Yeah, what um, are you going to do? I mean, I, I kind of, like, I like the stunt casting of having Sting play a Fade Ratha. 
Um, but he doesn't really get to do anything besides the the knife fight at the end. Like he barely mm-hmm. has any lines, basically. He's kind of a sex symbol for the Baron, which I yeah. I forgot how homoerotic like the. Uh... So we we should talk about this though. This aspect of the movie that it that it really uh, sucks. Actually, this part this part of the movie. So the the whole idea of Fade Rotha being a sex symbol is actually kind of connected to like I would say the worst thing about this movie, which is that for some reason they queer code the Baron. And yeah, the Baron, as far as I remember, is not queer coded in the story. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, he does some messed up stuff, but the flavor of that stuff is not doesn't have anything to do with him uh, being like gay, basically. And for some reason, they just add that here. Um, and correct the Dune heads. Correct me if I'm wrong. If there's somewhere in the story, because I, it, I it's not like I'm saying, oh, Frank Herbert was above the idea of queer coding a villain. Um, he's probably not. I'm. I, I'm not. I'm not putting it past him. Um, but I don't remember that in the book. So it feels like it's kind of just an invention of this movie. That wisely, the new version is just like, oh yeah, no, that's not. Yeah, be part and of it and at the all. part that made me uncomfortable about it was that it was done in a like, like, oh, we get this impression that the baron is gay or queer in some way and uh he is nasty about it like he there's just like this poor boy that comes in he just like lusts over them over him and then he goes in and just kills him and like covers himself in his blood and then yeah then fade comes in he does this whole scene and it's really weird and it's really only those two moments yeah um you know and it's just like the way it's done is very tasteless. It, I I would say those things should be completely cut. Yeah. Um. They serve no purpose. Um, yeah. If if anything, it's like. It, it, yeah, it serves no purpose. It serves no purpose. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I I would say the I mean the only the only purpose it serves now in in twenty twenty four is like if you're not familiar with the concept of queer coding with the concept of Hollywood just taking a villainous character. And for some reason, making them gay and just being like, "Well, they're gay," also uh, yeah, as if that's, that's a, a that's a villainous thing. Yeah, like like that yeah. that trait had to be associated with evil, you know. And it's like you're taking the Harkonnens, which have all this rich stuff you could play with. Notably, they didn't they did nothing with the Harkonnen costs costumes. Really, they just put them in black hazmat suits. But the whole idea of this being a civilization that is like you know, uh, a heavy, like, fascist society where, like, there's a lot of, like, uh, uh, like forced body modification, basically, is, like, mm-hmm. one of the, the concepts of the Harkonnen that they do cover a little bit. Like, it's in there. They just also add this unnecessary uh, extra stuff uh, to it. Um, and, I, you Which know... Which they nail in the new one. The new um, one has, does a they, great job of showing the off the doctor's wife, yeah. that was insane. I remember when I saw that, I was like, whoa. Because yeah. in this one, when that happens, they just stab him in the back. Right. Um, and they're like, you're dead now. Right. <laughs> and it was like, all right. Um, very... That, that scene also... That, that scene was... I forgot that it played out that way. I was like, oh, that's kind of a d- disappointing... Um, that was one thing the new Dune, I think, gave it some gravity yeah you know yeah actually so do you want to talk about new dune a little bit do you want to talk about dune part one it's been a minute since I can, i've seen it i haven't rewatched it but I, i'm going to in preparation for dune part two i watched it like twice in theaters mm-hmm. and then i watched it when it came out on hbo i watched it like i think watched it back to back the first nice. time 
Um, and then I watched it like three or four more times. I really fell hard for that version of it. It was very, it's a way more romanticized version of the Dune story, which yeah. is, you know, it is a space opera feel. So it does fit a little bit. It's funny. I just wish both of those movies could just like fall in love and have a little Dune baby. Yeah. Cause I think the outcome could make a pretty interesting Dune movie. Yeah. You know, like the costumes, what we're getting in David Lynch's are experimental and fun and, and kind of fit that like strange world that, mm-hmm. you know, Dune is. Um, but then I think there's moments of like the seriousness uh, of uh, um, the new Dune kind of add those like weighted moments that I think we need. Now there's something you brought up. I'm, I'm not going to steal it, but I do want to like punt it in your direction to have you talk about it. Um, uh, which Paul, um, what's her name? Uh, why am I forgetting her name? Shawnee. Um, Shawnee. Uh, which, which couple do you like better? Because I tell you what, I forgot the David Lynch one just basically doesn't exist. But yeah. besides the fact that, She's just, you know, that actor that we've we grown up with every David Lynch movie seeing her in. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's your thought? So yeah, so yeah, it is funny that that they include every character in David Lynch's Dune, but that a lot of them just don't have much to do. And Chani would be a good example of that. In the new version, we've got Timothy Chalamet and we've got uh, Zendaya. Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet. Whatever. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I actually don't like either of them very much as far as yeah. acting goes. I find Tim, Tim Timothy is all right. Uh, I I have not seen Call Me By Your Name, which I realize should basically disqualify me from evaluating his acting ability. Um, I just I don't know. I don't I don't love him yet. Now we've only we've only seen part one. We've seen half the story. Um, where so, he's a boy, right? We haven't seen him a as boy. Paul Atreides as a man yet. We haven't seen him make that switch to where he's meant to be sort of, like, to be the hero that makes you uncomfortable. And Kyle mm-hmm. McLaughlin in in David Lynch's version, he doesn't really do better. I just like him a lot. I mean, he might be, like, one of my favorite actors of all time. So even watching him, like, kind of struggle through something is pretty fun, just inherently. If we're talking about uh, Chani in uh, David Lynch's version, she's just kind of a non-entity. I feel bad. She should have gotten... She th- She is an important character in the story. Um, I feel like in the new version, I've, I have watched uh, a surprising amount of Euphoria, the HBO TV show produced by Zendaya, mm-hmm. uh, and, and she stars in it. Um, and I... I do not like her acting. I think that she's not... I don't know that I've ever really bought into what she's doing. I don't know if I feel like she's somebody that makes very strong or or interesting choices. A lot of the time, especially in Euphoria, it was kind of strange because she is a producer of the show. So I would feel like sometimes the stuff that she was doing in that show wasn't shot very confidently. Almost as if... It was her idea for this sequence to play out this way. But then when they shot it, they were like, this is kind of bad. So we're going to do it wide. We're going to like not show your face so much. We're going to like kind of cover up certain things you're doing with, with editing. You can use editing to make an actor like appear passable, basically. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Euphoria does that a lot with her. Um you know who it doesn't do it a lot with is Sydney Sweeney, who is an incredible yes. actress. 
um, who uh, it's a shame that she made this choice to be in this Madam Web movie. So we'll see what happens with her career going forward. But um, <laughs> yeah, she's incredible. So you have somebody like her in a show with somebody that doesn't have that same level of ability. And you can just tell even by how the camera chooses to treat their scenes, like w- sort of what the show thinks of them like how confident they are like a confident performance you can just put the camera right in the actor's face right like you can just you can do it in a slow close-up i think of like kate blanchett in in tar she has all these like monologues where it's just a medium shot of her talking for a long time no edits and it's like that's confidence you know what i mean like that's yeah that's confidence in her ability and then she is just like executing it um I don't get that from uh, from Timmy and, and, and Zendaya, but we'll see. Doom what about Part Two could change a lot of things. Spider Man. What about her in the Spider Man? She come was on, great. Man, come on. It's, <laughs> I you mean, don't, you don't like her in Spider Man? I, I, I no, I, I find her perfectly likable. I find her perfectly likable. Um, and 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 she does actually. No, you're making a fair point. She does the job in that movie, and she does it well. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make her a great actress. Tom Holland, yeah. excellent in Spider Man, doesn't make him a good actor. That's that's not he's not now you didn't a like general. Him in, uh, the Uncharted movie? No, I did. I did you didn't not. think he pulled off a good Nathan Drake? I, I, no, he, he didn't. He absolutely um, he was did way not. Way too young. Marky Marky Mark should have been Nathan Drake in that. Let's be yeah. honest. There, I didn't need. I never needed a young Sully. I think um, he's. I I think he did well enough just getting into a movie at this stage though, because he's kind of a persona non grata in general uh, right now, just because of. I don't know who he is and what he said. That's not important. We don't. We don't have to get. We don't have to get stuck on. We don't need to be talking shit about yeah, yeah, Marky yeah. Mark right now. Um, everybody leave knows. Him, leave him. Leave him in Boston. Leave him um, in Boston. Um, but yeah, but yeah I, yeah. I want to say this though about the acting in New Dune. Everyone else, like, leave those two out of it. Everyone else is incredible. Um, oh yeah, best. That's the. That's my Duke that's, right there. That's what works. Mm. Is all of the, finally we're getting a version of Dune where. We have so much time for all of the characters, and they all are getting these like wonderful, well-realized moments. Um, and and just so everyone just is really showing up and seems very excited for all of their individual bits. It suddenly feels like an ensemble experience, you know, seeing this movie. And the fact that in Doom Part Two, we're getting Austin Butler easily one of the most interesting new actors like that you that that you can watch like if you've not seen Baz Luhrmann's Elvis like you are messing up and you need to go see that movie as soon as possible it's like four hours long and it I wouldn't say by any stretch of the imagination I would say it is a, a con- conventional good movie uh, but you need to see it this guy Austin Butler man he's something and he's either gonna be an incredible uh, career in this guy or uh, he's just gonna burn out immediately because he's he's out there. He's he's very yeah, much. you know, out. Uh, I I'm excited to see how he turns out because there's a couple things. Some t- he is an actor that sometimes when I see him on screen, I just don't like the way he looks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know no, what it is. He's a weird. Um, he's a weird dude. He makes strong choices. Uh, he's he also seems like that type of guy that maybe doesn't factor in the production so much. You know. Like, mm. I think he's like, I'm doing this. This is what I'm doing. And hopefully that gels with what everybody else is doing. He kind of strikes me as that, um, if you're familiar with Jeremy Strong from uh, Succession, mm. it's kind of he's kind of high off his own supply. And that can kind of cut a couple different ways, you know, with an actor. Sometimes, that's, sometimes that is uh, interesting and provides like a good 
uh, tone that you wouldn't get out of a, a different style of performance. And then other times it's like Jim Carrey and Man on the Moon where it's just kind of a pain in the ass for everybody. Um, and it's just uh, like kind of a horrible indulgent experience. Well, mentioning high on their own supply, um, where would you, you know, in the realm of science fiction movies mm-hmm. um, of like the weird ones we've gotten, you know, um, even going back to like some like short lived, you know, like let's like Firefly, for instance, yeah. as like a yeah. sci-fi experience, Serenity and all that stuff. Um after seeing it now on the on the big silver screen with you know Nicole Kidman kind of riding us into the movie, um, <laughs> you know what's your what's your final kind of thoughts on it? Like yeah, you know is is this a movie that you're still like you know be, you know leading up into this we would tell people you should watch it. It's a David yeah. Lynch's Dune. You should watch. I still David think Lynch's you should Dune. watch it. I think you should watch okay. it. It has a million problems, but you should watch <laughs> it because it has some sort of awkward power to it because so much of this movie has just kind of lived in my brain rent free like it's and i haven't seen it that many times like i watched it a handful of times when i was like from the time i was like maybe 10 until i was like 16 i probably watched a handful of times there and then kind of didn't i think i maybe watched it once in the last 10 years and then now and still, it's very much like a 2001 Space Odyssey for me. Like, it's in yeah. that same way. Like, I've only seen it, like, maybe five times, mm-hmm. you know, five, six times. But gosh, you know, it lives in there. There's yeah. moments and scenes that stay in there forever. The, I mean, to me, the one thing that I think ha- this, uh, that I actually prefer is the way people are dressed. Like, um, Paul Atreides' mother, her hair, mm-hmm. you know, the way, like, when she first shows up, I love the dynamic choices and, yeah. and like, the way people look. You know, I, like for instance, the Mentak having like this like smeared, like red lips thing. I, I was like, I love that choice. I love the um, sloppiness of the Mentats in David Lynch's version. That's one thing that I will say is definitely one hundred percent better. Um, the way uh, they are in New Dune is like it's a little too dramatic. David Lynch was just like, it's literally like they just it's like they've been. It's like they just have wine lips. I mean, that's really all it is. Or they've been kissing. Yeah. (laughs) They got kissy wine lips. And they all look frumpy and disheveled. Yeah, Their eyebrows are insane. So good. good. Yeah, so good. Uh, Yeah, both of the Mentats that we meet uh, in the story, uh, I would say I I like both of them better than than New Dune. That's something David Lynch's Dune got correct, and they should have just copied off that exactly. Mentats are... Frumpy, wine-lipped, kissy face. Wine people. kissy people. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and that's what they should always they, be. Yeah, those eyebrows are just so amazing. Um, yeah, I still think people should see it. I still think it's. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah, a million problems. I think it's exactly a good you know thing to warn people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think those problems what makes it good. You know, yes. I, I will say the battle scene sucks. You know, don't get too hung up like oh let's see a cool it's fight okay scene. but it sucks but it's also like kind of incredible because they have those um i forget what the weapons are called but they have those like those word weapons <sighs> that just like propel yeah. thoughts but and so what that means is that and i'm stealing this sort of D, dm uh dm anonymous uh a listener of the show made this point and it's very funny that you are basically yeah, just you know watching it. actors like do the fight scenes with no special effects added 
because they're not they don't add any like color. it's not like they're shooting lasers at each other they're shooting like sound frequencies that the movie kind of chooses not to really depict in any yeah. tangible way so a you're just watching at act- the tip of a weird like <laughs> A uh, hand vacuum, yeah, um, that is connected. It to looks a like a radio. Thing. It, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like some weird radio thing, and then they're just yelling, and the, you're you're not seeing Whoosh. anything happen. Boom, <laughs> zap, prahadid, <laughs> bam! Like See, it's like it's very what? <laughs> and it's that stuff. Like that. That is what makes it so interesting. And the way so many characters are dropped, so many characters are introduced for a moment. We already talked about the little girl. Maybe we should talk about. Let, let's talk about the little girl a little, a little bit more. She so Paul has crazy. this weird sister. This is this character is just weird in general, and is kind of a sign of things to come. If you're like reading Dune, I feel like she's like kind of this like advanced. Yeah, guard if you read of Children like, of Dune and everything yeah, afterwards, it's going to make freaky. a lot more sense. It, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's, t- it's time to get freaky whenever you read any of the sequels to Dune, but. Uh, but yeah, the way the way David Lynch chooses to depict her is she has this like goblin voice, and she just shows up. Yeah. There's no, there's no like you never you don't really get an idea of what the heroes are trying to do at the end of the story. She just yeah. all of the evil guys show up, all the antagonists uh, they come running to Arrakis, uh, based off of kind of a lot of stuff you don't really see on screen. Um, but, but they like they, it is one of those things where they're like the spice has been been the production of spice has been spice production yeah, yeah you're just told exactly. that okay yeah that's and yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. a challenge like that to depict that uh, and make that dramatic for a film I realize that's like kind of difficult but um, so the antagonists they all show up and then suddenly Paul's sister is just there and she's just this little girl wait and- for me Baron <laughs> wait for me Baron. <laughs> Wait, my brother Baron. is coming, and it's so he's on it's his just, way. And it's like, what the <laughs> hell? I had completely just like I don't know, probably for safety, my brain just like forgot her, just filtered her <laughs> out, man. Um, yeah, yeah, like it's, it's it's very weird to watch a child actor play such a scary, strange, off-putting role. Um, and it she also what, had to be seven, yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah. and she's six. Just, She's just like Molly. Yeah, it'd be like if somebody hired Molly to just be freaky in a movie. Um, it works. Like as far as like, is it off-putting? Yeah, it succeeds yeah. in being off-putting. Nails um, it. It does feel like, like maybe now that I think about it, like now we're talking about it. I wonder if it was kind of a too little, too late thing of trying to fold in all of the like questioning the good guys aspect of because that if that is one thing this this depiction of Dune. I feel very little like level of like, oh, should I be thinking about whether Paul is right here or whether any of this is correct? No. No, he it's c- totally okay for him to come into this, you know, group of native people and just you'd be like, Well, I'm gonna you're, I'm your leader like, now. I'm in charge now. <laughs> and the yeah. the movie doesn't really it doesn't have the tone of of that. Which is fine. I actually think it's kind of if you think about it like this, it's sort of like if you took a great, complicated philosophical work and you wanted to make a soap opera out of it, it is the Kingdom Hearts of science fiction movies. <laughs> that is exactly oh what it God, is. Oh my God, it really is. It is Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> God, it's so good. I, yeah, that I feel like that makes so much. Yeah, okay, I'm right. That was that's like the best thing You're I've right. ever said. No, yeah, David I Lynch's no Dune is the Kingdom Hearts of of science fiction movies, uh, and that is a hundred percent right. 
Um, and I love it, you know? It's I love it more than I like Kingdom Hearts, so there you go. Like, I don't even really, I don't enjoy Kingdom Hearts, but I still enjoy David Lynch's Dune. Even if it drags at times, there, there are moments where you're just kind of like, I don't even know what the movie's about right now, but that's kind of the fun of it, is that mm-hmm. the movie has so much going on and everyone is acting choices is so weird and and just kind of out there and probably probably would have made more sense with whatever cut david would have done uh but instead you just have all these awkward kind of hanging chads just like out there like well we're not gonna see her again she's you you know how like my favorite character in the story and especially in New Dune, is Lady Jessica. I think she's a fascinating character. I think she's a really... She does a really good job of sort of being your foreshadowing of things to come. Like in early Dune, like the stuff going on with Lady Jessica is your hint that there's a lot of weird stuff at work here. And um, I think in David Lynch's Dune, she has one scene in the the back half of the movie. Yeah. And you never see her again. Where she drinks the water of life, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You, you. As soon as she drinks the water of life, we don't. Ever, the only other time we see her is whenever Paul drinks the water of life. Right. And and then you you get to see grown up. You know, well, she grows up really fast. His sister. Um. And yeah, that's it. Uh. And yeah, they and the actor. I thought she was great. Um, yeah. You know, I've Lady Jessica. You. It's she's one of the strongest characters. Yeah. In that book, um. And and I think both actors that portrayed. Uh, her did oh great. dude um, Rebecca do. Ferguson is incredible in Dune Part yeah. One. I actually think she might be my favorite performance in that movie. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. She's such a good actor. But yeah, I mean, if y'all haven't um, haven't watched it, um, I'm sorry that you. I don't know. You may if you can see it in theaters. I suggest it. Yeah. Oh, we didn't touch it. We didn't touch the sound. That's maybe the last thing we want. Yeah, go let's out. talk about sound a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it was cringe. I mean, it was. Yeah. It hurt uh, there yeah. because I mean it had like that classic eighty sci fi, mm-hmm. early ninety sci fi zing zap zing zing. You know, it sounds like metal. Like clearly the Foley guys having a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, like there was some that was like, oh, that really hurts my ears. Um, yeah. it's really really loud. Yeah, it music was good. The the yeah, well so the music uh well okay, so the sound. David Lynch, he likes his weird sounds, right? He likes his like kind of shrill um spook I I call them spooky tones. He does spooky tone mm-hmm. stuff. Uh and for a science fiction adventure movie, what that means is that sometimes the crashes are just really shrill. Like if the worms are appear for some reason, it kind of just sounds like, I don't know. I did not like the sounds they selected for specifically mm. the worms. I felt like they didn't make sense. Um, and they sounded, uh, they just sounded really bad. Now that there also wasn't enough variation of them either. Cause they played the same sound over and yes, over. And every over time the worms show up, again. it just plays this really shrill noise and it it's not very i don't know i re, i love how contemplative they are in new dune um they actually feel like they don't just feel like monsters they there's like something going on with them which is you know is appropriate because there is something going on mm-hmm. with them there's more to them than uh than meets the eye um but uh the sound design is not great um but it is it has these it has moments where like it's interesting, at least. Uh, the hunter-seeker thing that we talked about earlier, I really love how that thing sounds. Um, I love the goofy uh, sound of the guns. That's pretty good. Uh, the actors just saying words sounds good. The voice is interesting, at least. It sounds I like creepy. The, voice. 
the voice sounds yeah. good. Um, and then you mentioned the music. So the music is um, Brian Eno does uh, the title track, which is pretty good. Um, actually, that's a good that, that's a good piece of music. And then Toto, um, Toto, the, <laughs> Toto does uh, the the classic rock band Toto does uh, a lot of the rest of the music, which really just is just an odd mix of music. But it just means in the the latter half of the movie, there's a lot of triumphant guitar solo stuff. And it doesn't really work and, with the movie, but it, it sounds but cool, like, I guess. It sounds cool. Yeah, it sounds cool. But, I, I, you know, but you're like, oh, this doesn't, like, fit here. But I'm glad they made the music for I mean, it, it makes it hilarious. That's what it is. It's, yeah, it's not really, yeah, like, really. cool. It's just very funny that you're watching this movie that's been such a weird journey. And then they're just, like, soloing on guitars <laughs> like a like a triumphant 80s, like, made-for-teen made for movie. You know, like, the, the, yeah. the, the nerd gets the girl and the jocks are sad and there's just a little noodling guitar wow he's so cool you know uh but it's dune (laughs) so yeah is this oh i think we had this discussion briefly um did david um when he was making this mr lynch um did he think it's gonna be funny Oh, this was yeah. This was something we talked about because there were there were lots of moments where we all were all laughing, and was that oh, intentional? Yeah. And I think I feel like to speak for David Lynch, just to just speak for him, I think he doesn't care if you laugh or not at his movies. I think that he, I think he's on that level where he makes stuff to and you react to it, and whatever your reaction is. It's all part of the plan. As far as like, I well, maybe I should put it this way. I don't think he's one of those directors that is trying to play you like a fiddle. I think he mm. is trying to get his inner, his his inner dreamscape out there. He wants to show you the inside of his mind. He wants to show you these ideas he has had. But I don't think he's very concerned with uh, what they mean or if you are getting a very particular reaction from it. Um, I think that's what's so genuine about it is that yes. it truly feels it feels like, you know, I mean, it I'm not at all putting myself in the same boat as David Lynch, but it feels as if I if I was going to make a Dune movie and someone gave me 42 million dollars, it might, you know, come out it might come out like of, this. Yeah. <laughs> it might come out like this. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um like even though he knows what he's doing, I mean that's the thing. Like the shots, there are certain shots and scenes where people are framed. Sure. It's, it's brilliant and beautiful, like the way they do that stuff. That, There's I'm, incredible stuff in there. But yeah, I will. I couldn't. I could probably not do that. Uh, but in the terms of just like slap dashing everything together, we could probably get close. Um, and I think that's what's genuine about it. It feels really, really good. Uh, um, and you know, and I think I think a little bit of that is in the new Dune movie. I think um, mm-hmm. Villanova is very, you know, I think he's genuine. I think he really loves and knows how special this movie is to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I want to you know end on this because you know it's impossible to talk about this movie right now without talking about New Dune, and mm-hmm. I want to say that obviously I, I'm not I'm not an idiot. Obviously, New Dune is is better. But like in quotes, like it is technically it's it's competent, it's it's well made, it's not it doesn't have like I think some of the issues that that we're talking about with David Lynch's Dune. But to counter, it's also very of this moment with the way that it looks and the way that it, it 
it just feels like a movie of right now. Now, to be fair, David Lynch's version also feels like an 80s movie. But it's kind of got such a curious aspect to it. It's such like an interesting overlap of all of these things. We have this historically very important science fiction novel. We've got one of the more interesting American film directors of all time. And we have them like kind of colliding in the kind of concept of the 1980s, like schlocky, you know, space opera, science fiction, fantasy movie. And I feel like that is like kind of already proved itself. And I think that we just, this is us celebrating the 40th anniversary. People are going to be watching this in 10 years. They're going to be watching it in 20 years. This movie is going to hold up for a while. As far as people are just always going to be interested in this. Even after David Lynch is gone, people are still going to be like looking up this guy because his movies, his whole filmography is going to last for a very long time. People are always going to watch David Lynch's Dune. I don't know if that is true of New Dune. You know? Yes, and I want to I want to comment and, and counter with this. I think the new Dune is very, very similar, very to now. Yeah. Um. I will. You know, P- Dune heads. I would love for you to to get on Discord and, and and I would love to hear your thoughts about this because when I read the book Dune, even when I'm going to read it from a year from now, or if I'm going to read it, you know, later this year, who knows. I guarantee you I'm going to be more visually connected with David Lynch than I am going to be with the new Dune. Maybe not yeah. with the Thornicopters. I will probably be defaulting to yeah. the new Dune because those are pretty rad. Those are pretty um, cool. But the costumes, mm-hmm. the kind of the vibe, he captures a lot of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, you know, it's visual. So the way he captured it also comes with like external baggage because yeah. <laughs> you're like oh he's disgusting um or oh you know this and that uh, well i think reading the book um i think that intention that frank herbert had because this is a storyline where paul atreides in three books turns into a big worm yeah dude. um and he is god a Emperor god dune, that baby. rules the god god dune and he rules the cosmoverse mm-hmm. you know as a big worm man so it is a it is an intentionally a strange world yeah. um if anybody would like to like listen to more people talk about dune especially david lynch and the new version um i you should go check out matt coville he has a lot of videos talking about this stuff he's on youtube he's on twitch i think most of this stuff you can find on on youtube um but i really love his interpretation of it because i mean he's a you know he's an older guy you know loves that book and he talks Mm -hmm. really eloquently about it um but yeah, when I read that book, I'm going to be thinking more David with my visual um, con- conception of what yeah. I imagine in my mind that I'm going to be thinking of the new one. Except for Lido. I'm going to be thinking about her boy for sure. Yeah, Oscar Isaac for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, that that's also like to expand upon my my thing of like the, the new Dune being very like of the moment. Um, the cast, which I think is like great is also like kind of why though I feel this way because if you think about it if you take this group of actors this is like the hottest group of actors you could have to get I mean like collectively these actors I don't mean just like how attractive they are but they are attractive of course Um, but like what they represent as far as like the big Hollywood movie 
these people have all been in like every major film franchise is all represented. We've got Mission Impossible, Star Wars, and Disney. We got Star Wars. <laughs> we got Marvel. We got DC. We've got, like they're all here. We've got HBO like mini like like TV shows, and it's they're all together in that way. And even though I love it, it does make it kind of lame. Right? Like, mm-hmm. they're all sort mm-hmm. of like, it's sort of like they're like, we're going to make Dune. And Dune's like the weirdo uh, story in science fiction, and it's hard to adapt. And who are we going to get to do it? We're going to get all the coolest people in school. All the winners yeah. are going to come together. Everybody in their junior year going into senior <laughs> year, you know, all the cool people that you yeah. know you're going to be watching for the next five years. Mm-hmm. They're too cool. It's a, everyone, mm-hmm. they're all together. They're all too cool but it's also the best thing about it so i don't know i'm like kind of torn because in a way i think mess it is there's something about this is what it was uh, to me this is my big guess is that they were like we're gonna make this new dune and the they're getting the the casting director is getting together they're all sitting down like all right how how are we gonna cast this and they're like this should be like the avengers dude like this we should mm-hmm. we should cast it like it's an avengers movie basically and we should every character should really sing because they're all avengers and it's like cool that's that's fun to like have that but it also might date it in a major way like it might be that in the future we look at this and it also sounds kind of lame in the way that like david lynch's dialogue and the way it's executed in the old version Sounds kind of lame. It doesn't quite work. It's got this weird schlocky soap opera thing happening. We might also look at New Dune and be like, why are these all A-listers? Like, why are these people all like delivering it with this gravitas that they're all so cool and neat, you know? So Yeah, because it's Zendaya, Timothee Chalamet, Rebecca <laughs> Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, Florence Pugh, Austin mm-hmm. Butler, well, and, I'm, and I'm breaching into part two. Yeah, yeah, Josh sure, Brolin, Javier Bardem, yeah. Christopher Walken, Dave Bautista. I have not put, a, 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 no one is in the beast. A-listers, no, maybe. A, a, all and these are all A-plus. Yeah. All right, now I have to hit the continue on, on Google on my yes, phone. Yes. You got Sharon Duncan Brewster. They got Chang Chen, who is the little kid who started his uh his acting career as a kid actor in this movie A Brighter Summer Day which is probably one of the greatest movies maybe the greatest movie ever made uh is all, is in the movie he's cool but he's just like Dr. Yui you know he's like probably yeah. one of the most interesting actors in the cast and he's relegated to I mean it's not an unimportant role but it's fairly minor compared to all of the other characters that we're talking about um so yeah, I mean, it's just it's a stacked cast, but maybe stacked casts are kind of a thing of the right now, and it will, I think, uh, date it. Of course, it's always hard to tell. You know, there's a certain amount of this, like, you know, maybe that's what they felt. About, I don't think that is true, but maybe that's how they felt no. about 1984 Dune. I, I'm not, not even chance. gonna let myself entertain that argument. That's not an argument. <laughs> not a chance. I mean, there's... Max von Sydow's there, and obviously he was an all timer. Uh, Kyle MacLachlan wasn't nobody. But he wasn't yeah. really on a, you know, I don't know. It, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, Patrick Stewart. This There's was pre Star Trek, so like he's not a star yeah. yet, you know. 
Who's the biggest star in David Lynch's Dune? I don't even know. I don't think I could even. It's probably the Emperor. He's he was probably. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of the people in David Lynch's movie, when you look at it, a lot of them from old cowboy movies. Yeah, um, a lot of them are old cowboys. Um, Duncan Idaho. He was. I I, I know I recognize his face from yeah. some cowboy movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's kind of funny. They go from these like I'm a cowboy to like I'm a space guy. <laughs> um, right. They uh, you know. It is, it is what it was. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's Sting. That's the biggest actor. Oh, well, obviously. Well, does Sting. Yeah, but I mean, did, actually, you know, was he in a lot of movies prior to this or after this? No, I don't this? think so. I don't, I don't think that yeah, Sting yeah, yeah, really yeah. had I mean, it. so he's not really like an actor. He's more or less. This would be like if, um, <laughs> this would be like if, uh, uh, oh, damn. It was going to be funny. It was like if Billie Eilish showed up in Dune Part 2, right? It'd be Yo. like, why are you here? <laughs> That's a great idea, by the way. Actually. They could totally do it. They could totally pull it off. But it would be like, okay, you're Billie Eilish. Like, honestly, not that's like... not too far from where we're at. Okay, though, maybe I pulled dude. a bad one. <laughs> well, okay, and and to relate this all the Beyonce. way back to Beyonce, it'd be like if Beyonce was all of a sudden Dune Part Two, right? We would uh, be like, okay, there's something about this whole idea of Dune that has always been about getting a really weird group of people together, and I can respect that. Alejandro, when he was putting his version of Dune together, he had uh, David Carradine, he had Orson Welles, he had Mick Jagger. Oh, wow. Mick Jagger was going to play Fade. Whoa. Uh, he had, who else he had? He Well, he was going to have his son play Paul, which is, uh, oh, Salvador Dali was going to play the Emperor. What? Uh, yeah, Salvador Dali was going to play the Emperor, and he wanted to be paid a million dollars per minute on screen. He wanted to be the most well-paid actor of all time. Well, and, he was, you know, he's a he's a painter, so they weren't making very much money. So I get it. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Just let's throw some shade at Dolly. Um, but yeah, so there is something to this. Like, there's always been this obsession with every like every character in Dune being played by like a larger than life uh, person. I just wish they had been freakier about it uh, in yeah. the new. Was Dune. Orson Welles going to be uh, Duke Leto? No, he was going to be Baron the Baron. Um, oh wow! Yeah, that yeah. I would that would have been interesting. It's a great part of the documentary because Alejandro he he comes to Orson Welles and he's like, um, I want you to be I want you to play Baron Harkonnen in this movie, and uh, Orson Welles at this point doesn't really like to act very much. He's sort of retired, um, and he's like sitting at a restaurant and he's eating, and Alejandro's like, uh, if you accept this movie, I will hire the chef of this restaurant and he will feed you like he is feeding you right now every day when you're on set and that was what Orson Welles wanted so he was like imagine yes. what the budget for that movie would <laughs> yeah, have been. That, that would be, I mean <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons why it didn't happen um, and I think I, I think that obviously could be one of them it I'm sure looking at it you would be like yeah this is gonna get out of control very quickly um, but check out that documentary if you haven't seen it uh, Jodorowsky's Dune uh, it's very good uh, and uh, probably yeah, the and best the Dune book. movie yeah, and read the and then watch and then watch both movies and then get into the Discord and let's talk about it. So in yeah. about a month, I expect a lot of chatter about Dune. Yeah, and I'm, let I'm let, here for it. let me know if and I wouldn't put this in the public feed, but let me know if you want us to review Dune Part Two and and for the Patreon because that would be fun too, actually, to have yeah, a sequel. Because Hunter episode. and I, Hunter and I, want to get together and chat more yeah. about stuff about yeah. weird things and and other media things. So. Um, you know, yeah. Let us know how we did. Let us know if you want that. I, I you know, I love you, 
Um, if you want, if you want this tone more, uh, subscribe to the Patreon. Um, but subscribe. Uh, yeah, subscribe, like and subscribe, please. Like and subscribe. smash that bell. Yeah, ding, smash ding, ding, that ding, ding. bell so you get the <laughs> notifications, people. All right. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Old Gamers Almanac is produced by Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson with music by Knight Corey. If you liked our little show, consider giving us a five-star rating or heading over to patreon.com slash oldgamersalmanac. Oh,